What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 84th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he's tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Hey, Matt, I am just scrolling right now to double check if it is the 84th. Yep, it is. It is. Good, good, okay. good. Just <laughs> yeah. double checking. You can tell we're well-researched. <laughs> Uh, like usual, Eric. Um, look at uh, the tomato meter intro actually makes sense now because surprise, surprise, we um, you went on to Rotten Tomatoes and uploaded your first 40 some reviews. Well, we should also preface this with you were the one that helped me navigate through the site and actually really took yeah, the I, excerpts I'm- from my my written reviews and put them in and also listened to uh, my ungodly voice for the Untitled Mine Movie as well. Podcast so, yeah, for the review. Um, happy to do it. I'm just your personal assistant now. Well, uh, I really I, appreciate it, and you're not my no. personal assistant. You I know, are you know the that. co-host you of know- the Untitled Movie Podcast. <laughs> Which is now on Rotten Tomatoes because yep. of that. So uh, I love – there was some gold in there, Eric. I forgot how savage you can be until I um, was going through your reviews with you. And um, in, a, in a, I think a completely you know honest and, and fair way, but some of the quotes we pulled were pretty funny. Well, my brother I, – I, I sent that quote that you screen capped of um, my review uh, or my little write-up there blurb of uh, Hillbilly Elegy. And I sent it to Kyle, my, uh, my brother, and um, he said that was very – mean of you and i'm like well have i and i texted him back have you watched the movie and he's like nope and i never will there you go so how you doing otherwise you know i'm okay uh it's it's a friday we're recording uh you know i mean not that that really matters in this day and age but um you know i did a 30 minute workout with said brother kyle uh earlier today so i'm feeling pretty good you know just trying to kind of keep on a routine and and you know, watch a screener, you know, write a review, prep for an interview, that kind of thing. It's keeping me going. It's keeping me motivated and boosting morale. And, and you know, like it's always good talking to you. I feel like in a way that it's not really therapy, but it's kind of like faux therapy in, in some sense. So it's therapeutic. Thera- guess, it, that not. is the perfect word to, to sum it up. But uh, how are you, Matt? Doing all right. You know, um, as well as one could be, Eric, during all of this. But, um, I mean, like anyone, um, you know, th- we're coming up on one year of this. Can you can you believe we've been almost podcasting from our homes for like an entire year? I remember our first episode doing it, being like, oh, this will be done in a couple of weeks and we'll get back to it. And uh, here we are almost a year later. I won't, I guess we're a month removed, basically, or a couple of weeks. Really. Yeah, March is coming um, and it's coming soon. And yeah. with that as well, like, it's funny that, you know, with the vaccine being distributed in a very slow manner, I, I find it funny and amusing that, you know, like some studios and some, you know, relating it back to film think that like, okay, like, you know, by the time we get to July, you know, the summer, things will be a little, like people will be, you know, inoculated and things like that. And we can get back to uh, a regular routine. I think that's a little too optimistic. Um, and, and I think that we probably will not be back to, you know, a new normal or a normal, you know, post, pandemic until probably early to mid 2020 uh at the very earliest like even wow Anne, you're gonna go back in time to mid 2020 or like, 2022 <laughs> pardon me sorry because i was are you thinking, gonna go back and try and stop this from happening yes yes i'm gonna be marty mcfly and go back in time to uh, save the day but 2022 i think is when um you know things will start to get back to what 
normal was beforehand. And right. I don't know. When I have exactly hope for. I, again, maybe the optimist in me is coming out with the, you know, our vaccine rollout here in Ontario and Canada has been, you know, abysmal for the most part. Um, but I have hope that if we can get as many people vaccinated who, you know, will get vaccinated or want to be vaccinated by like, you know, fall, I'm hoping that, you know, we can have maybe a somewhat normal, you know, winter next winter which sounds so depressing because you know it's a beautiful snowfall right outside today but um yeah i don't know it's i'm hoping you know summer into the fall that we can get like a ton of vaccinations done and if we can get vaccinated obviously we're not high up on the list of people priority of of getting vaccinated um at least i'm not i know you help your grandparents which might help you out a bit but yeah that those yeah. are the people i'm most con- like i want them to get vaccinated as soon as possible because i mean they're both you know 86 and 92 so yeah so i don't know how that i mean i read you know articles on it every day but it's our rollout here has been terrible and you know i don't think that anything will go back to normal i mean we just kind of technically opened back up this week which is insane we shouldn't be doing that like the (laughs) idea of opening and starting into like you know another first phase and allowing you know restrictions to be lifted to a certain degree it's the numbers are just going to go back up like what's the point of doing that it should be in lockdown until you know the vaccine has circulated enough i think they do it for businesses in the sense of Okay, we'll make you close for a couple months, but we know we don't want you guys to like lose your business, so we'll open for a couple months, even though to the detriment of you know case numbers and you know deaths and 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 things like that. But um, I don't know, man. Like, and then they shut down again, and the numbers go back down, and uh, it's it's just I don't know. We've been it, we're broken record at this point, right? But, it's a yo-yo and, situation, right? Like yeah. it just goes up and down, up and down, up and down, and they're not really like right now you know, the numbers have gone down a little bit and that's good, but it's like just that little bit of progress doesn't mean that we're out of the woods and it's okay to start opening things again. And I understand what you're saying with like, you know, small businesses struggling and things like that, but you know, there are other ways that, Oh, you know, the those- government could have just been like put a pause on rent on all, you know, businesses and, and everything. And they could have paid people to stay home like other places. Have. Well, that's not going to happen. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. It's all fucked up. And again, we we're broken records because it's just been the same shit for the last year and uh you know us being you know neighbors to you know our friends down south that sometimes that stuff trickles over here and and you know uh i just feel like you see other countries like new zealand or australia or um places like that that have done a good job uh of you know and have a you know maybe less people but a certain uh, same land mass kind of thing but um I don't know. It's it's there's nothing you can really do other than try to make the best of it. And, I think uh, the moral of this story is literally stay home and don't go to Cancun. And if you go to Cancun, don't throw your daughters under the bus. What an asshole, right? I know we don't talk about politics stuff very often, but we're talking about Ted Cruz. And if you're not familiar, please go look it up. But like, what an ass. And I hope everyone, if we have any people in Texas that listen to us, um, uh, we hope you're doing we, okay, and 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 because that's that's wild. Yeah, but you know, but again, global warming, real. Like, it's yeah. not real. So <laughs> yeah, like fucking. Christ, and we're not dude. laughing at you know people suffering. No. We're laughing at you know the ignorance, the absurdity of, of that statement. Yeah, yeah, of people not believing in in that. So like it, it's 
and they just did not have the infrastructure down in Texas for it. And, um, and I feel so horrible for the people that, um, you know, are freezing and, you know, have no power and, um, there, I see lots of like flooding and the houses aren't ready for this heavy snow and shit like that. And, um, it's just all fucked up, man. I just can't believe everyone's like a once in a generation storm or a once. And I'm like, how many fucking once in a generation things have we lived through in the last three years? Yeah. Uh, it literally feels like, you know, since the Cheeto got elected and then that four years, it just feels like it, everything went to shit in those four years. Well, even before that with climate change, I mean, there was, Oh yeah. And that's a long time, but I'm just saying like just the, and none of this is attributed to him per se. I mean, some of it, could have been eased um but it's just it's it's wild everything is wild man everything's wild we, and live, I'm in a, to miss- we live in a society matt we live in a society oh, <laughs> we will be talking about that um but yes everyone this is the untitled movie podcast each uh not every week but now that i'm off of a real job uh maybe we'll do this more often we'll see but um eric and i get together and shoot the shit about the entertainment industry uh we also have a couple other shows we would love for you guys to check out untitled movie reviews where we review all the latest and greatest in um entertainment both you know uh film streaming usually theatrical when we had that um as well as some television shows like recently we reviewed wandavision and we'll have another cool uh, tv review coming up in march um we also have reviews up right now for eric what the hell have we reviewed recently well, you did mention um, with television, we have uh, Cobra Kai with uh, Revelation William Zabka. Uh, that's a direct quote on RT. Uh, we have a lot of Sundance uh, coverage that you can go back to and, and check out, whether it be movies like Flea or Pleasure or Coda. Um, there's tons of stuff there. Uh, spoiler free. It's just kind of our initial reaction to it after seeing the film. Uh, so you can dive back into that stuff and really kind of catch up and see what we kind of are are thinking is some of the best stuff that's going to be released in 2021. And, and, uh, that'll be, you know, distributed via streamers. Uh, great point. And then we also have reviews up for, uh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, uh, St. Maud and Malcolm and Marie. So go check those out. Those are our most recent stuff and, you know, everything from the last couple of years. We're almost doing this three years now. It's crazy. Yeah, we made it. We did it. <laughs> Have we? I don't, the know. Se- I don't even know. The seagulls listen to our prayers. Yeah. Um, that being said, uh, Eric, what you been watching lately? You know, Matt, I've I'm in this bit of a kind of just enjoying myself mood right now, and and I've been kind of you know watching a couple things here and there that are you know work related, whether it be for for Rogers or for this show, and you know, and and I always enjoy that, and it motivates me to watch stuff that I you know normally wouldn't, and I like to get out of my comfort zone. But there's times also where I like to go back to my comfort zone and watch stuff that. I either enjoy or get some sort of sadistic pleasure out of watching. And a film that I thought I had seen, which I hadn't, uh, is The Fourth Kind with Mila Jovovich, uh, a film that is this. Yeah, I'm surprised you hadn't seen that. No, I, I, it was one, I think it was one of those movies in college that came out around the time, like during, you know, like exams and things like that, or like just like during that period it, where I was it busy. It didn't show you that in film. 
school or no they didn't i I mean they just did us a disservice um but it's a pseudo sort of docudrama about abductions in a small alaskan town that isn't actually shot in alaska it's shot in vancouver and partly the reason why i I watched it is because one of the podcasts i listened to the movie microscope did a review of it and so i was like listening to them and it's like I've, i've never i've never heard of this Movie like like I, like I've seen the trailer, but it's like there are things that it just I'm not recalling from it. And usually I have a good recall when it comes to because they use like real phone calls and footage and they stuff. They don't right? though. That's, That's the thing. Oh, okay. So they use like actors pretending that they're the real versions, and then they splice right. that with so like there'll be a scene with Mila Jovovich playing uh, a psychiatrist, and then they cut to like a side scene or like a split screen of another actor playing that version of that person involved in this case. And partly it's in Nome, Alaska. And the idea is that, you know, missing people cases have been sort of, uh, uh, you know, sort of equated to, or maybe referencing uh, alien abductions, but um, the town of Nome, Alaska have even kind of come out and said like, no, this had like, we didn't believe in alien abductions. This is not, you know, us saying that aliens stole these people like these, you know, young girls were actually just kidnapped and abducted like you know and and so it, it's very exploitative in that way i mean as much as i love seeing people like elias kateas and will Patton pop up and and things like that it's it's a pretty bland sort of again pseudo docudrama that's kind of you know stealing kind of cues from everything from dark skies to uh the blair witch project so kind of terrible movie um but it's available on amazon prime if you want to check it out <laughs> i remember working it would have been like 2006 7 is that when it came uh, out 2000 i think 2009 actually oh okay because i was working at cineplex when that movie came out because i remember like cleaning the theaters and stuff never watched it either I just remember the end credits all the time because I feel like they don't they do that split screen thing in the credits as well. Yeah. Like, and again, it's yeah. all like all cast actors. So like everybody's like an, like professional actors, even the actors that are cast in the uh, uh, the real, the, the quote real, unquote real. real footage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, you just been watching that on repeat or anything else? Or oh, what? no, no, no. I've been watching other stuff, but I mean, like I, I rewatched the silence of the lambs because it was a 30th anniversary and, you know, I have the criterion and I mean, I don't really have much to say other than your it's, photo. it's a masterpiece and, um, you know, I miss Jonathan Demi and, uh, it, it, I mean, it's just interesting in thinking that like Anthony Hopkins won best actor for, for that film. And he's in only about 20 minutes of the movie, but, um, it's still uh, a great uh, genre movie that is quote unquote elevated because it was nominated and won awards, you know? So it was accepted by uh, the, the elitist crowd as much as it was the genre crowd. Um, Just looking at my uh, letterbox uh, diary. uh, I, I mentioned on Barb and star a review of that, that I watched uh, uh, rewatched MacGruber. Um, I rewatched Taxi Driver. Um, I rewatched a few uh, Christopher Plummer movies, including Beginners um, and The Insider. Um, I have a review up for Harry McQueen Supernova with Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci that you can check out. And I watched the terrible, uh, two terrible movies that are also on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime is where you go for your trash. Uh, money plane and uh, oh bliss. god yeah uh, money plane is actually like bliss is terrible like bliss was really hard to get through mike cahill who directed another earth and i origins it's kind of like 
basically an in the matrix kind of movie of um you know Owen Wilson plays this kind of businessman who begins to realize that he's in a simulation and Selma Hayek is the one that kind of helps him kind of navigate it and get through and there's kind of like between these two worlds Bill Nye's in the movie uh uh, as a scientist, you know, it's a little bit of a stretch for him, but uh, it's just so pretentious and ponderous and thinks that it's, you know, smarter than it actually is. And it's, it's terrible. And Owen Wilson is miscast completely in the role. Um, wow or no wow. But um, Money Plane, which is also terrible, but kind of funny in its, you know, trashiness, which is basically uh, Wrestler The Edge, known in the film as Adam Copeland. His real name, his yeah. real name, uh, sort of him in a ragtag tag group of high, uh, criminal 2021 Royal Rumble winner. Yes, <laughs> yes. And now movie star, uh, you know, him and a group of thieves are always kind of working jobs to pay back a debt that they basically can't repay because it's, you know, millions and millions of dollars. They're hired by Kelsey Grammer uh, to infiltrate the titular money plane and steal what he has asked them to steal to pay this debt that he's bought. And the majority of the time, Adam Copeland is sitting in the cockpit of the plane, giving orders to the people that he's working with that are sort of undercover working, uh, you know, as flight attendants or sort of, you know, second in command types. And then you also have people like Thomas Jane as the best friend, you know, smoking a pipe in a couple of scenes and, you know, on the ground. And then Denise Richards as, as the wife and literally, you know, her Kelsey Grammer and, uh, Thomas Jane were probably all, you know, took one day of shooting to get their stuff done. And like Kelsey Grammer has some fun lines about like, you know, you could bet to see if, you know, a guy's going to fuck an alligator and things like that. And you're just like, wow, Frazier uncut. Um, but it, it's bad. It's it's really bad. But I mean, if you're going to watch a bad movie, I guess you could do a lot worse, which is Bliss. Um, but it is fascinating to watch how shitty this film is. And just like from a production design point of view, I found this movie fascinating because the majority of this takes place on this kind of luxury plane. But they have this like glass table, for example, that looks like they bought it at like a gardening store. And it just looks so weird the way that it's placed. And like, I mean, obviously like the inside of the plane doesn't look like the inside of a plane to begin with, but it's just like weird. The kind of the assemblage of um, furniture and production design that they have going on that just looks like this makes because I bet you it actually was. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was probably in somebody's house or in some like, you know, like just warehouse or something that they kind of did like this again, sort of put together, you know, interior but it's 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 terrible it's it's bad but it is short it's only about like an hour 26 so uh, that also sounds too long or yeah. almost sounds too long it does but, but it I, is funny every time like adam copeland's no. on you know like he has like a walkie-talkie or he's you know interfacing is he like the lead in the movie he is but he's literally in the cockpit flying the plane giving directions to people or interfacing with kelsey Grammer on a laptop and it's like okay so uh now you gotta go to uh the the main safe and okay no 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 don't do it all <laughs> and it's just it's it's great it's great acting sitting you know like sitting acting i don't doubt it for a second um 
on my end um to jump in like god we haven't done because our last episode we did with daniel baptista from the movie podcast shout out to him and thank you for coming uh on the show daniel uh we did our sundance wrap up so we didn't do our typical uh what we've been watching so i don't even know how far back i need to go because there was some pre-sundance stuff that i was watching like but i don't think any of it's super important but um you know what? I've been mostly watching stuff for review. So like everything that I've watched recently, like Barb and star St. Maud, um, Malcolm and Marie, and then all the Sundance stuff you guys can go check out on untitled movie reviews. Um, we do have a review coming out for cherry, which will be next week. Um, so can't talk about that quite yet. Um, and then I watched face off because I mean, we can maybe just lump it into the, the news that, um, uh, Adam Wingard and um, Simon Barrett are uh, you guys would know them from uh, the guest and uh, the new Blair the Blair Witch remake and um, the upcoming uh, Godzilla V Kong um, he signed on to do a face off sequel um, originally thought to be a remake and then he um, stated on Instagram that he would not remake it that it is a direct sequel to Face Off so I was discussing with Nevis and she had never seen Face Off so I'm like we absolutely need to watch Face Off um, and then you guys should go follow Nevis at Nevo Supremo on Twitter uh, but she tweeted out being like I had no idea what Face Off was about <laughs> and she didn't realize it's actually about very them. literal yeah very literal taking their faces off and swapping um that movie still slaps i i I love it i think it's fantastic i think it is almost a perfect stupid action movie i have two ratings when it comes to like you know 80s and 90s action movies it's either like this is fun so it's five stars or this is boring and i don't care about it um three stars or under um, and that was the height I, of, of Nick Cage and, and John Travolta, like kind of like, I mean, Travolta, uh, obviously post Pulp Fiction and kind of making yes, a bit of a comeback, comeback and yeah. having already worked with John Woo on uh, Broken Arrow with uh, Christian Slater. And then Nick Cage kind of becoming a movie star with Face Off and The Rock and, you know, Gone in 60 Seconds and Con Air and and things like that in, in you know, in the 90s into the 2000s. Um but it is it is interesting to be like, okay, so this is getting a sequel and they're kind of going to probably build on the quote unquote universe. Are they going to bring those two actors back or are they going – If it's a sequel, you have to. Right. Or are like, they going they, to be mentor characters? Are their faces going to be peeling off because the, you know, the, the science surgery is wearing off or yeah. something? Yeah. I love it. Um I mean, neither guy's going to be that expensive anymore. So no. <laughs> I feel like that's – the least of your problems is getting them. They'd be begging to be put into this movie. Um, so I have, I have a feeling um, that's not going to be a problem, but I mean, I, the guest is phenomenal. If you haven't watched the guest, go watch the guest. So if I'm getting the guest with a bigger budget and ridiculous face swapping, um, I'm all in. And like, I, I had so much fun rewatching face off cause it's been a while, but like it starts with, it just, it's fucking pedal to the metal from the second it opens with like, you get the assassination scene and then it goes straight into a giant action sequence. And then you get them just the, it's just all ridiculous. John Woo, like double gold guns, jumping doves, flying slow motion, things exploding, like ridiculous plot, um, horrible dialogue. Um, just, just, 
absolute absurdity. And I just, I love every second of that movie. So would you um, say that that's your favorite John Woo uh, English uh, yeah. studio film? I think so. I'd say um, that and Hard Target are the two that I yeah. like the most with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Um, yes, yes, yes. But, but I'd love to go back and watch more because it's been a while for a lot of those like 90s ones and stuff like that. But um, Face Off always, I remember it playing at the drive-in near my cottage and I was probably too young to see it, but I think it was on one of those double bill kind of things. So it's like my parents would stay and watch it and I'd still kind of watch some of it or whatever. I mean, I've seen it since then because I love Nick Cage and I actually think Cage and Travolta are genuinely good in the movie. They're having a lot of fun. You can. That's what I mean. Like genuinely good because- of what is needed from them for the movie. Like they're not Academy award winning performances, but it goes, okay, Travolta, you got to act like fucking full cage. And then uh cage, you got to act like Travolta. And they do such a good job of just like those dual roles of, you know, swapping, you know, an hour into the movie or so, or 45 minutes in, and then just completely changing those personalities and matching the other guy's energy. And I just feel like it's so much fun and such a stupid concept that like is just doesn't make any sense from like, Oh, it's, it'll be perfect. There'll be no scarring. You'll be able to sound like him, look like him. It'll be, it's completely reversible is a hilarious line. (laughs) Um, and like, but then I forgot how, like, like the surgery scene, I forgot. Like, it, I love the scene where Cage wakes up with no face. And, like, it's just, it's so much fun seeing, like, shooting him from the shadows. But then you get that shot in the sunglass or in the glasses where you just see his face off um, while he's talking. And he's got the, like, he's talking like he has no lips and shit like that. How did Nevis like, react to that? Because I know she's she not hated the biggest it. fan she of She hated that. Yeah. And she was actually quite mad at me for not telling her that that's what this movie was about. So I'm like, I'm sorry. I thought you knew. Like, that's the whole thing about Face Off is they literally take their faces off. But yeah, she doesn't do well with like gory stuff. So she did not love the surgery scene, even though that's like the only gory moment in the movie. Yeah, and it's um, and it's a good supporting cast too. What Joan Allen's in it, and and Colm Fior, and, and like, yeah. it's it's a really solid. Like, I haven't watched it in a while, so I might actually revisit it closer to when the new movie is coming out or the sequel's coming out. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, I it's it's strange because like obviously John Woo was a guy who like his films are so influential. You look at the killers and, you know, hard boiled and, you know, his work with Chow Young fat is, is incredible. And and those movies are still, I think amazing. And then, you know, like there was just something where that style became more of a parody than it was kind of something kind of ambitious and, and revered. It almost become, be, became a joke. Like everybody knew like, okay, we're waiting for the doves. We're waiting for, oh, totally. you know, those kind of things. And, and I think once you got to mission impossible two and, uh, wind talkers, it was basically over for, and paycheck. It was almost oh, God, paycheck. Oh, yeah. Paycheck. When, yeah. When, when you get to those movies, I mean, like, it's just a shame that like Wu was never able to find the footing that he did with his earlier, you know, yeah. Hong Kong films, which I think, again, like are so monumental to, you know, the action the shootouts and stuff is are, are great, even in this movie, too. Like if, and the speedboat chase is fucking awesome. Like they legitimately blow up a, a hangar uh, like a, a, a with the airplane scene at the beginning too. like fuck you, Fast and the Furious and Tenet like John Wu was doing that shit mid 90s like um 
And I just love that back then you had to like shoot all this practically, right? Like all of it is practical. And um, it just, I don't know, like the speedboat chase, you can tell like it's just they fucking shut down a lake for however many days and they're driving around on the speedboat and you got fucking Nick Cage like water skiing on his bare feet or or whatever. And it's just like it's ridiculous. But I don't know. I just like love the the feel of that movie and like the gut, the shootouts are ridiculous and just the uh, they go full on with like Nick Cage and his you know, I, I feel like some well, of that's the priest came. when he's dressed up as yeah. the priest. Yes. And like, yeah. exactly. And like his little, these chiclets and his gold guns and his little box with all of his trinkets and stuff. Like they just making him this like ultimate super villain guy um, is, is so good. And, uh, and then Travolta matching that when you had to um, swap is, is, is great. And I just feel like both of those guys do such a good job in each each other's role and as themselves as well that um uh, not as themselves but more of a character that they're used to playing too, yeah but. now now did you feel uh that the movie was taboo in any way because of the uh face touching uh that's uh, always uh, done yeah that? <laughs> yeah <laughs> if, if, it's con- if it's consensual sure. no no i just meant um, it in terms of like you know the pandemic we're living in now oh like that. sure yes 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 and now i get what you're saying yeah no totally you can't touch anyone's face anymore um yes not sanitary um not at and all there's some there's some like ickiness with like but you gotta in your head know that he is the most horrible super villain so like all the horrible shit he's doing is in character so it's just like because there is some stuff you're like this feels kind of gross but then you're like the character is supposed to be kind of gross right. so he probably didn't wash um, his hands before doing the face touching thing He and he licks his daughter's face even though it's not his daughter because it's like he's you know anyways convoluted. he's cage he's so like, to that yeah. kind of thing I, but I, I fucking would- love face off and I think Adam wingard doing it is almost the perfect guy too because i feel like he did that over the top kind of ridiculous plot in the guest really well that borderlined on kind of satirical well, but you're also, next as well right yeah you're next as well yeah um so- I'm, I'm i'm curious to see if they'll incorporate anything with like deep fakes and stuff like that in uh in face yes. off too yeah so that'll be kind of interesting face off too like- deep fakes yeah, I would like. Do you put the younger Travolta and, and Nick Cage's faces on <laughs> some younger actors or something? I don't know. God. I can't wait to see what he does, or like get other actors. Just deep fake everyone. Um, I also watched Greenland, um, which I caught up with because it um finally got released here in Canada on Amazon Prime, um, and I actually really liked it. I went in thinking it would be like a olympus has fallen um or like a roland emmerich kind of uh, disaster movie disaster movie and it is to the for the roland emmerich part to an extent it's playing obviously with very similar things that Emmerich does all the time. But I, I don't know. I really kind of dug this in the sense that I, um, it was way more, it took itself seriously, which I did not expect um, but I was pleasantly surprised by, and I actually think like Gerard Butler gives a pretty decent performance and I liked kind of the chemistry between his entire family and the movie always, um, didn't keep me guessing, but every time I'm like, Oh, this is when it's going to start being ridiculous or go into some of those cliches. And it has those cliches. And there's a lot of suspension of disbelief 
in in how things kind of play out but i think the emotional core of it of him with his family i think works really really well in that the movie never glorifies the the disaster that's happening like a Roland Emmerich movie I feel like does where Emmerich's movies are more about the spectacle of it all um, of like, look at the, you know, this city get wiped out by this tsunami or the X, Y, Z blowing up or, or, or the latest this. special effects. Yeah, exactly. Where this has some of those moments, but you can tell that at the core, it's about this family and, um, I don't know. I really bought into it. I like the idea that he's chosen by the government and th- those scenes with his neighbors and like, um, and I just felt like it felt like a more realistic version of if something like this was to happen, how it would play out minus some of those suspensions of disbelief of like, all right, how did they, you know, the roads would be completely clogged. The world would be on fire kind of thing. If people knew that this was happening and they show you a little bit of that stuff, but he's they're very easily able to get from point a to point b to point c to point d and then that was the kind of stuff that i was like all right you kind of just have to roll with it because this doesn't seem super believable of them being able to drive to the grandfather's house and then find about this and go to canada and and and, you know even before that with like there's there's all these roadblocks that are by design script wise that you can tell it's like, okay, well, we have to separate this character from this character for a little bit. And then, you know, they'll meet up again at this point and how they meet up. It's, it's just, again, you mentioned it's suspension of disbelief and you kind of have to play into um, the genre at that point and, and sort of because you're focused on this family specifically. And so, you know, when certain things happen and, you know, you, you worry about the character or what's going to happen to the character or, you know, what what other people are doing to sort of survive and whether or not you are you know empathizing with them or hating them for what they're doing you're they're trying to give you the scale and scope but from the perspective of the family and so you kind of again have to understand that that's the movie that you know Roman Rick Wan who you know worked with Jared Butler already on you know the third uh, uh the fallen movie um which I think Greenland is a lot better than than uh, Angel. Still haven't watched it, and Angel I love that fallen. franchise. Yeah, it's terrible. It's the worst one. Even with yeah. Nick Wolpe as his dad, it's it's kind of horrible. I mean, there's no you know uh, thirsty lines in that. Although there is a scene in Greenland, I will get when Gerard Butler drinks some water very quickly, which I did appreciate. I think that might be a callback. Call London has yeah, fallen. Um, but yeah, it's it's not a bad movie, and I, and I think you kind of nailed it with like tonally. It's it's respecting that it's playing within the kind of disaster thriller genre. That it's it's closer to deep impact than Armageddon. Yes, exactly. You know, like it's exactly. it's not you know a, a Michael Bay Roland Emmerich movie. Although I mean, Roland Emmerich says you do feel kind of a plight for the characters sometimes. I do. Yeah, he has an emotional core to some of his stuff. Maybe yes. with the exception of 2012, but um, like with day the day after tomorrow, like I remember the big thing with that movie was like, look at the detail of like the ice freezing on the window. Yes. Like the the, yeah. the CGI in that is amazing, and I mean, obviously it's very dated now. I but do want to go back. I can kind of rewatch some, some of, of this stuff. See, yeah. 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 Disaster movies are also just really hard to do in terms of like making you care about not only the characters, but just in terms of like what is going on overall, because like you look at, you know, 
speaking of Gerard Butler, you know, Geostorm is the perfect example of, you know, a Dean Devlin move and also having worked with, you know, Roland Emmerich, which is really goofy and over the top and just kind of terrible. And as you mentioned, boring. And But in the 70s, the, the, the disaster movie was the thing. You know, you had Poseidon Adventure, you had Earthquake, you had The Swarm, and a lot of those movies were done in real time. So they're even longer. They're nearly three hours, you know, for each film because you got to see a character walk from point A to point B and you can't just cut or make that cut where with this it's a little bit faster slicker well done um visually i wasn't the biggest fan of it all the way through i think sometimes it does look a little ugly or cheap um but but it was also nice seeing people like you know hope davis and holt mcelaney and scott glenn kind of pop up here and there as well and just uh, an end note on that. I really liked that it showed both the good and bad of humanity in a situation like this, in a disaster situation, because I feel like so many times we will focus on, you know, the bad or the negative side of it, of how people will react with looting and, you know, um, try like, oh, and there's a couple moments I didn't love. Um, what's his name from the office? Uh, 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 he's oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. him and that Hope whole, Davis, yeah yes that whole subplot at first i was like all right this seems like a very movie thing where i'm like like you said you you have to add these moments of tension or these uh, things for the characters to overcome to the point where that moment i don't want to give it away but like there is a moment where it kind of made me roll my eyes and go all right did you really have to add that in here like i get what those characters, I guess, were trying to do. They're just trying to use this kid to try and save themselves. But um, at first, I was like, this feels like a stretch. Like, this movie's almost losing me with this, like, kind of, like, silly kind of abduction plot in the middle of the movie. And, and luckily, it only lasts, like, um, not too long. But I, going back to my other point, I liked that it showed kind of, like, okay, that moment that I'm kind of complaining about right there is humanity at its worst, where people try to kidnap a child to try to save themselves um they also show looting or you know gangs coming through to try to police themselves or try to get all the stuff uh from a pharmacy or something like that but then i also loved that they showed kind of the good in people throughout the movie as well that you uh, there were characters that you'd bump into that no matter that this whole world ending event was going on they showed you those people that were selfless that would go out of their way to kind of help another person in a moment like this that i i find maybe i don't know i just really liked the juxtaposition between showing the good in people and the horrible in people in a moment like this and then that's what kind of kept me engaged throughout the whole movie so um i quite liked it nevis is a huge fan of disaster movies she loves them so um that's why she was pretty excited to watch greenland and she loved it and um i i like yeah disaster movies can be um not a lot of fun but i i i there's something that is appealing about all of these, like, again, even the Roland Emmerich movies that when we were younger, um, of being like a big event. I love Independence Day still different type of disaster movie. Well, you put yourself in the character's shoes, right? You think like, okay, how would I be in this situation if I got a call from the government saying, okay, you and your family are allowed to, you know, evacuate. Only you guys. yeah. Yeah. Whether it be a bunker or a ship or, you know, transportation to another country that kind of stuff has always been fascinating to me and i think the strong like one of the strongest scenes in uh deep impact is the scene where the government is making calls to people and like 
you know, people are picking up the phone and it's like, you've been selected to, you know, enter this bunker um, before, you know, the, the comet hits. And obviously again, like even with the name of the comet, you know, being uh, Clark, I mean, even the spelling of it is to Arthur C. Clark, the uh, science fiction writer. And, and so like, I mean, it's, it's very much wearing it's quote unquote, uh, hard on its sleeve in terms of you know its references and things like that and it's not trying to be anything more than kind of you know a slick kind of well-made disaster movie that takes the genre seriously not yeah. you know like itself seriously which i think is good because like again like i rather take a straightforward film that maybe has some funny moments that are just naturally funny or at least tense than having a film that is just boring and kind of like you know winking at the camera every other second being like oh, we're in this weird disaster movie and like look at us and and that's kind yeah. of what um geostorm is yeah fair um I also watched I started Eric I'm WandaVision got me back on my bullshit I we went a year without Marvel um I think I did a rewatch last year with Nevis or was it before Endgame I can't remember but um you did anyways I mean when I say recently within the last year or so I think I did right yeah so um anyways back on my bullshit I uh I mean now it's more background noise but um I obviously we love WandaVision. Please go check out our review for the first three episodes. See how off we were about anything. If we predicted anything, but and we will do a spoiler uh, cast too. I think for at the end, the and we can quickly touch on our uh, opinions, but like episode seven just dropped today as we're recording. Um, uh, another fantastic episode. I think both of us uh, really, really love this series a lot. We'll hold, you know, I don't want to talk about it specifically because obviously it's so hard to talk about without talking about, you know, uh, sp- without spoiling anything. So if you haven't caught up, I don't want to spoil anything. Um, but anyways, love WandaVision. So that led into going, you know what? I kind of want to watch the MCU again. Um, so I put on, uh, I thought I'd do a chronological rewatch this time because every time I do it, always theatrical, I am adamant much like you are that if it is your first time watching something, um, definitely, uh, watch the, it in release order. Um, after that, do whatever the fuck you want. If you've seen a franchise a hundred times, watch them in, yeah, I don't know, watch one from the sequel series and two from the prequels and whatever. Do whatever the hell you want. I don't care. So I just decided to do it chronologically just to see if the movies felt differently or if I felt different about any of the other movies um, doing it that way. So I thought it was interesting, like watching Captain America first and, and imagining if this was the first movie. Like and you got introduced to Cap and then the the end Cap with him in the present day and then going into Captain Marvel and then going into Iron Man. So um, I only watched I finished Captain America, which I like more and more every time I watch it because I remember it. I was always very soft on the first Captain America movie and um, and I feel like now with the context of Cap's whole arc in the MCU, I feel like I enjoy that first movie more and more. And we're, we're leading into, you know, uh, the Falcon and the winter soldier and just seeing Bucky get introduced all the way back in that first movie. I know he's not your favorite character, Eric or actor, but like, I don't know. It's just, I I see the history of now of the whole MCU and, and see it in that movie. And I, I I like it more and more every time I watch it and that it's, it's set in, you know, in world war two and it feels different than some of the other one. And Joe Johnston just has that kind of, 
I don't know. I think he has an, uh, obviously that, you know, classic, not 80s movie kind of thing. Obviously, he worked on. Um, well, he is uh, a protege know, of Steven yeah, Spielberg. And exactly. You can kind of tell and, that like that style. I mean, he did the better the better version of Captain America. And I don't want to sound like an asshole saying this. The, the better Rocketeer. version of it is the Rocketeer. And, and the yeah. Rocketeer is kind of that swashbuckling kind of fun sort of, you know, combination of science fiction and action of, you know, never seen it. I should really watch it's it. It's amazing. You would yeah. really like it a lot. I think it's on Disney plus. So um, I think Timothy I, I Dalton will. as the villain is amazing. And then okay. you have people I'm like Alan Arkin. And, yeah. yeah. It's a lot of fun, but I will say this as well. I think having, the last time I did rewatch the first Avenger, uh, the Captain America movie, I did like it a little bit more because I remember thinking to myself, and I always talk about this when, like, you know, a superhero movie does a period piece. I actually love the idea of them taking advantage of the decade that they're in. You know, yes, I think yeah. X Men First Class does it the best um, of that. And even that, they could do more. And I just was, remember the first time I saw it, I was really disappointed with it. Again, I think the one thing that I don't like about uh first avenger is that it is very kind of blue filtered tinny kind of like you can tell that they've gotten better visually speaking over the years but like that's where i got that like televisual thing from because it just looks so flat and digital and like it looks like they spent all the money on cast than it does feel like because it's a period piece they put some sort of weird filter on it to make it almost like washed out a little bit or like at least to me but um and i just feel like it's weird that the steve rogers stuff with him on his face oh yeah that is well yeah see i i I actually think it looks okay but you also like benjamin button so it's it's it looks weird because you know what uh what um oh my god why am i blanking on um captain america steve rogers how do i know Um, that and you don't no i didn't blank uh chris evans god that's i'm like i was blanking on chris evans's name america's ass Um, yes we get it yes exactly um you know what chris evans looks like so obviously it's very off-putting to just see him on this like short skinny guy it just feels weird um but i still feel like it looks okay if you remove yourself from how weird it just is seeing his face. Like, I think that looks better than, cause it, it seems like they put his real face and his real performance. Cause he was also still young ish at the time that they didn't need to de-age him. They just needed to kind of deep fake his face onto someone else's body, which I think looks better than creating a digital version of someone's younger face and doing that. Right. Because you can take someone's actual face and their actual performance and put it on something. So it'll still look weird because that's obviously not his body and his head looked too big for the body. But um, it still looked, I think, better than, say, you know, de-aging in the Star Wars movies or something Or the like Irishman or, yeah. or again, even Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which like the last time I watched that movie, those effects, like I never liked them to begin with, but they keep getting worse because as, again, like as technology gets better and better, those things will look worse and worse. Yeah. It might be a benchmark in the moment or what have you, but like practical effects will always be the best thing. And and I don't disagree with what you're saying. Like I get the idea that, you know, like he's supposed to look awkward and weird and uncomfortable and, and, you know, abstract visually speaking is what they're going for. And it works that way. But I almost wish they just cast like a, smaller scrawny actor in the role and just had him in that part and then when he becomes you know 
Captain America, it's Chris Evans, the way almost that they did with um, George uh, Clooney. Well, no, I was going to say uh, um, the Toxic Avenger, where they had this goofy, gangly kind of actor and they throw him in a you know a barrel of toxic waste and then it's like a guy like a bigger guy in like a suit as the toxic avenger you know would you have clooneyed him and had chris evans voice or would you just be completely different person just different person a different person (laughs) just why not because at that point you could you could get away with that and say like it just changes your your physiology completely completely right i don't know i like it still feeling like him because then i feel like you lose what Steve Rogers was before if he feels like a completely different person. Uh, that's me personally. Right. But, um, and it does yeah, feel I, like I, a little bit of a waste of people like Tommy Lee Jones as well. Or oh, like, he's, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, just he's there sleepwalking the through it. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah. he's doing more in Batman forever than he did in this. Um, but like, it also kind of feels bad because like, I actually think like Stanley Tucci is quite good in the couple scenes that he has. And like, even like, I would have loved to have seen Hugo Weaving come back. Um, because like he was having a lot of fun doing his Werner Herzog, you know, version of the Red Skull, but it's just like, it's strange how some actors, I mean, obviously very much like with, you know, Terrence Howard and Edward Norton being very public about, you know, their kind of quote unquote breakup with Marvel, but like someone like Hugo Weaving, I I just kind of found it strange that, you know, for, you know, Infinity War and Endgame, they were, they didn't bring him back. Like if there was maybe bad blood between them or or something like that. I probably, I assume it was so small that they were just like, and because they can do it with, you know, Red Skull's a character that they don't necessarily, I'm surprised they didn't just, you know, come in and do a a voiceover, right? Because it's a fully CG character in, in those movies. Like, um, but then they had someone who's probably much cheaper right. uh, that could do a good enough impression of Red Skull that most people wouldn't even notice. So um, who cares, right? Why pay Hugo Weaving probably 10 times the amount of money you paid this voice actor? Um, probably Star even more of Hacksaw Ridge. Um, God, he's so bad in that movie. That's what That scene at the dinner table with him is when I turned off that movie. Uh, anyways, and then I put on Captain Marvel and that movie the opposite of captain america i think it gets worse every time i watch it and um my biggest problems are the opening uh on you know her and that it's a woman come on matt just be honest no not at all but like i'm I'm joking um, obviously yeah um i know you are um it's so dark it is dark as shit man like it's so poorly lit that that first like act of the movie that um it just annoys the shit out of me no matter full brightness on whatever i'm watching it's just so weirdly lit and then just like i don't know it it takes so long to get going and then when you finally get into the earth stuff um that takes place in the 90s um i don't know you get a little bit more but i'm just like each time i watch it i'm just like i just not feeling this movie really and um I think it's fine. I think it's one of those movies that kind of feels almost like an obligation or a first yeah. film. Like it, it almost feels like it's the first Thor movie where it's like, exactly. okay, we need to make this movie because this is, you know, a, a critical, a crucial character in the MCU or, you know, in like, if we were even looking like in other genres, like, you know, it, it, she'll play an important role moving forward. So we got to do this. I hope that the next Captain uh, Marvel movie is not, the dark world uh, because then we'll, we'll have some problems, but I like Nia DaCosta quite a bit. Same. So yeah. Um, and everything we've seen from, um, you know, Tio, Teona, 
Tiana, Tiana Paris. Tiana Paris. Yeah. I, I, I got to say this about um, her. She is so good on she is, uh, WandaVision. On WandaVision. Her and yeah. Catherine Hahn, I think, are just killing it on that Crushing show. It. Everyone really is. Like, I mean, I think they are the standouts because they're the the new additions to the cast, obviously, and they uh they've been crushing it. But and, she's um, T- Tiana Paris specifically, like she's been so good. Like the first movie I, I, I remember seeing her in was uh Shy Rack, the Spike Lee movie. And then she plays one of the sister uh, the sister in um If Beale Street Could Talk. And it's just it's great seeing her, you know, like becoming quote unquote a movie star. So like you know i'm I'm hoping that you know with captain uh marvel 2 you know that'll even be you know her role in that will be even as pivotal as it is in wandavision and there's seems like it will be and there is a great scene in the latest episode of wandavision that i think is so perfect and i'll talk to you more about it maybe after but um and in the spoiler cast as well that is that is just a great piece of writing and also a, a great performance beat from her in in that series that it just like it kind of completely blew me away that like they were able to do that for the show. Um, but yeah, going back to like Captain Marvel with the lighting, like there is one shot that I actually really do like with the kind of like quote unquote magic hour lighting. And it's the scene it's taking place in the evening when they're like outside. And I think it's like the first oh, all time the earth stuff looks better. Yeah. You're yeah, yeah. With, with uh, Ben yeah. Mendelsohn kind of first, like, at the farmhouse at the farmhouse there's like a really beautiful kind of shot because it's from the directors of half nelson and sugar uh uh bowden and fleck um and and you can tell like that's kind of them trying to bring some of their sensibilities into the film that makes me excited for you know chloe zhao's eternals because we heard that she shot it just like she shot nomadland (laughs) and like that makes me really curious of what the cinematography will be like on that movie but yeah the cinematographer is no man land and the writer uh joshua james richards yes and um i agree with you that the earth stuff and especially the stuff on the farmhouse is the best the best stuff in the movie um and the best looking stuff it's just all the stuff on the kree planet and like um everything in space at the beginning is just like so poorly lit to me and like it just feels like it has much like you said with Captain America, like this filter over it where I'm like squinting and turning up my brightness and going like, is this supposed to look like this? And then, uh, and I was just really confused. I'm like, are my settings wrong? And I know I had like HDR on and it was better. Weirdly, Eric, like it was, I put my uh, physical Blu-ray in and then I also put it on Disney plus. And I was just trying to swap between the two because one on the disc is only HDR 10. Um, where on Disney Plus it's in Dolby Vision. So I thought the Dolby Vision weirdly looked better because it was a bit brighter because HDR will make the colors look better, but it will also sometimes darken your overall image. So you need to have a very bright TV that can actually kind of handle that. It makes like the colors deeper and and nicer to look at, but then it also kind of darkens the overall picture. And I find Dolby vision is better than HDR 10, even though they're both different versions of HDR. So weirdly enough, it's like the audio is better on the disc version because it's uncompressed and everything. Maybe the overall picture quality is better, but then it was a little bit brighter on Disney plus, but then the quality was similar. So I went back to the Disney plus, version but it's just these weird things with like all these different formats and ways and i'm so particular of how i like watching things that i like i spend more time trying to figure out the best way to watch a movie than i do actually watching the movie and then i'm like 
so fed up i just end up watching half of it and with these marvel movies i don't care because i've seen them a million times that if i stop them halfway through and finish them the next day i'm not too upset about it but um other than that what else have i been watching um i started american crime story um so nevis and i are about four or five episodes into the people versus oj simpson getting more travolta um, aren't you yeah i think that's why it's because i watched travolta and face off and i'm like all right i could use some more travolta in my life and there's also another character actor that's in face off that's a detective on uh oj i think i forget his name we looked him up um anyways it doesn't matter um shout out to that guy <laughs> um it's really good i don't really love ryan murphy stuff but um i i again much like the last dance it was one of those things that happened in the mid 90s where we were alive but um obviously too young to really you know pay attention or understand what was going on um so i know a lot about the oj trial and everything that happened but i don't know you know everything and like i know the obviously the main points but um it is one of the wildest you know criminal cases i think of all time or at least the most high profile ones and it's been fun um kind of ryan murphy what he is good at i guess is getting a lot of you know big name actors and playing dress up and sometimes that works better than others but it's very everything feels you know heightened heightened. and it's very trashy Yes. And that's what all of his stuff feels like. And I, um, and sometimes the borderlines on like, is this satirical? Is this genuine? And then I feel like he kind of sometimes is on either side of that. And, um, but I am digging this and I feel like out of all the Ryan Murphy shows or movies, like American crime story seems like the one that I might actually vibe with a little bit at least and i'm enjoying it have, did you watch it yeah yeah i think it's actually quite good i mean like it's not if you want to know all about not just the oj trial watch but the la riots yeah. like yeah you watch oj made in america or you know la 92 because you have to have the context of you know the rodney king uh tape and and sort of you know which obviously they touch on in this but it's not they do, it's, yeah okay. but it's it's focused more on kind of the sideshow that is the trial itself and yes. like you know having people like david schwimmer and and sarah paulson and sterling k brown who who i think actually out of all of the actors is the one guy who's playing it like completely straight and giving yes. like a great performance i mean i like everybody in it for the most part even the weirdness that is travolta in that joke but then you look at yeah. who and it's like okay it kind of makes sense that's the choices that he's making are 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 like that um but yeah i i I would say that this is probably the the thing that i like the most that ryan murphy has produced or put his name on um i wasn't as big of a fan of his follow-up which is uh the versace Versace murder yeah murder which kind of felt a little bit more like it was, it was more decadent and stylish and what have you. And like, again, like that was also a strange case. And I understand like sometimes, you know, you know, fact, truth is stranger than fiction, but I think it just worked better for, for OJ. And I know that they canceled the Katrina, the Katrina one, one, which was yeah. probably in good taste to cancel that just because I seems agree. Like I'll probably wouldn't mesh well with like what actually happened, you know, after I- Hurricane Katrina. 
because I was thinking about it of being like, because obviously the next season is impeachment focusing on the Bill, Bill Clinton, Clinton scandal. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Which I think fits within, you know, the these three seasons that they've done. Like, um, but Katrina felt off. Like that felt like maybe that is too serious of a situation. Like all of these are all very serious situations, but like they're all circuses almost for the most part because of how I don't want to say like how outrageous they are or how much like, cause I was thinking of this. Or also how having somebody at the were. center of it that is um, kind of yeah. a, a famous or infamous person. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yes. Um, and th- I was thinking of what other cases or, or things that they could do after this next season of like high profile people that are in a criminal kind of element that um, I think could be interesting, but I'm really enjoying it. We're like halfway through it. And um uh finally i mean i'm like what five six years late on it but hey i um, mean at least you're watching and giving it a go but i agree with you like ryan murphy's one of those guys where it's like i remember first seeing that i was like oh great now he gets another thing because american horror story is just i can't watch it and i like genre stuff and like i just find it just almost just it's so unpleasant and pretentious and thinking that it's like you know, really great anthology storytelling. Um, but with this, it, it I think it kind of works with his sensibilities a little bit more. And I think, like, as you mentioned, like, the cast playing dress up in those roles, it's kind of fun. Like, I think it's almost weirdly a little bit better than, like, SNL or something like that. But it kind of almost plays almost skit-like, especially when you yes, have someone yeah. like David Schwimmer, you know, as, as Rob Kardashian and, and being- Oh, and they, like, the jabs at their whole family. And yeah. Like, that's the stuff that, like, I feel like borderlines on satirical at times. And I think it is intentional. Don't do a juice. Like there are almost like winking at the camera moments, which is, I think works for his style and like, but then there are times where it obviously, you know, gets very serious and it is taking the subject matter seriously, but it does feel like, okay, a very elaborate costume drama weirdly. And like, but taking place, obviously it is a period piece in the nineties and stuff like that, but it seems like everyone's got elaborate wigs and, and suits and it's maybe not as flamboyant as, as some of his other stuff. But, um, I, I still think it, yeah, you, you said it, it's just, you can tell because they're all such high profile actors too, where it is distracting that you're watching Travolta or David Schwimmer, but you almost buy into it because of that costumey nature of it, where you buy in that these are actors playing these roles and you're not necessarily lost in them. Like you're, you're very aware that you're watching John Travolta with like a, like a fucking, uh, Botoxed face go like, uh, yeah yeah <laughs> but like, it's it, i but you it's different like when we say oh i couldn't get out of my head that it was you know chris pratt because he's he's it, i can just see chris pratt reading off the script here i can see people you know very elaborately like projecting and 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 acting it's very much an everyone is acting yes but, like you almost buy into it because you you understand it's like almost seeing a stage play um that's kind of how i envision it in the sense where i very much know it's travolta or schwimmer and i agree with you with the sterling k brown thing where he's the one that you probably um i mean nathan lane well his character uh, like everyone, is just interesting as well because yeah. you know he's basically representing you know the side in which 
is going against OJ and the idea that like, you know, he was considered a traitor to the African American community and him dealing with that as well. Yeah. I think that that is a fascinating, like the way that he internalizes everything. It's like, dude, you're actually giving like a real performance in a movie that is like high camp. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Camp is the, and that's Ryan Murphy's thing to me is like kind of camp. Yeah. Like that's what I think of American Horror Story. Or even Feud, right? Like um, that's kind of what those, those shows are. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with like even people loving, you know, American Horror Story. It's just like, like I wanted to like that show because I love anthology horror and I like horror stuff in general. And I was thinking, okay, this could be interesting. And like the idea is, is, you know, something that is worthwhile to kind of the, take actors from season to season and put them in different roles and kind of play within a different genre or subgenre within horror fantasy and see kind of how it goes. But there's just something about his stuff that is so repulsive and not sort of just kind of enjoyable in a way. Like He's like Diet Boslerman to me. Yeah. Where it's like it's like, okay, you're not full Lerman right now, but like you're at a Murphy level. Like, that's what I feel like. There's like, that's why like diet Boz Lerman just is what Ryan Murphy is to me, where he hasn't quite gotten to the level of like, whew, okay, this is a lot, but yeah. like, it's almost there. Like any Ryan Murphy thing that I watch, I'm like, you're just like, you're at that line and you've probably crossed the line, but you're, you're not at full Lerman right now where, you know, there's glitter shooting at the screen or something. Yeah. But and like, there are some filmmakers that do that better. Like whether it be Xavier Dolan, who can also be very stylish and decadent and over the top. But I think for the most part, like a lot of his stuff actually is kind of interesting. Like not everything obviously, but like you look at mommy and you look at you know tom at the farm or you know you know i i killed my mother like things like that where like it is saying or or lawrence anyways like it is saying something interesting and i always say with lawrence anyways that it's the best Boz Lerman movie that Boz Lerman never made um and and then like even someone like you know pedro almodovar who is also very much kind of playing within the style and camp genre and but he also has like this artistic flourish to it where it it like it's still very much you know, campy, but it has a little bit of, of edge to it or bite to it or, or more than just like the indulgence of the visuals. Um, yeah. I mean, and Tarantino is even a guy that he's not going to be for everyone, but he definitely like, maybe it's a different type of, you know, it, but he can veer into that, you know, heightened kind of style that people just don't vibe with. So it's to each their own. I understand why someone would love uh, an American horror story or Ryan Murphy's stuff, but um, I don't know. It's sometimes a little bit too much for me, but I am really enjoying American Crime Story, and I'm very excited for that impeachment season. Did, have they said anything of when that's coming out? Or? No, they're they're still. I, I think they're probably just kind of waiting to see, you know, like anybody else. I mean, it is an FX series, and I think they're done, or, or they're at least in post production. I don't think they shut down because of the pandemic, or they were able to finish it. But maybe they're just kind of biding their time and just seeing like when the best moment is to release something like that i don't know if there's any upcoming anniversary or something where they're waiting for that maybe i don't know um but yeah like and also i just think the oj trial itself like it was such a fascinating moment in u.s history and pop culture and culture in general and like also what the meaning of it is contextually to you know race and history in the u.s and and 
even after watching, you know, OJ Made in America, um, you know, which, which I think a, I want to watch after. It's this. great. Uh, it, it's an eight-hour documentary, but like even after watching that movie, I still was very much fascinated by that period of time and everything that kind of escalated towards the trial and um like there's interviews i remember like with certain jurors that were on you know the oj simpson case and like they voted you know not guilty because of the injustices that rodney uh, king faced and that like those cops that beat him on camera were you know not put in jail and so like that was like the justification of letting oj go even though they believe that he actually murdered you know his his wife nicole and you know her lover and like it's such a wild it's such a wild story which i was i understand why they make it into this show but like just watching it with nevis and just going like I like I could imagine being, you know, our age during that time. Even imagine if Twitter existed or something when you watch that like that Bronco chase or yeah. just like the whole kind of circus around this trial. I'm like it's got to be the most like the high profile person to be, you know, tried for something as serious as like uh, obviously we have the Kevin Spacey and and Harvey Weinstein kind of stuff that's happened recently i guess are probably the high profile hollywood like horrible horrible crimes that have been committed that um i mean even to something like uh with with spacey he hasn't well, even trump been, right you look uh, at trump, trump being yeah. you know impeached twice and you know getting off the hook at least you know in 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 the you know supreme court situations but yeah i guess that is the biggest one (laughs) which i mean i'm not looking forward to like i hope that they don't do that as which they probably will at some point but like at least they will give it five years um where you look at oj like again like there was so much like riding on oj pressure wise as well to be an ambassador to the african-american community and being the squeaky clean guy and you know like kind of where he fell off because you look at a time like in the oj doc covers all this obviously like a time where he was like you know as big as any movie star or or any other athlete and you know i mean he's in the naked gun films and you know as much as yeah. i love those movies it's, it's hard, hard yeah. to think of like norbit as like norbit and not oj simpson you know i totally agree with that um breaking news eric um Ed- edgar wright to direct stephen king's the running man at paramount pictures hell yeah Bring back Arnie. Love it. Um, Edgar Wright's busy. I feel like he has a lot of stuff on his plate, but. Well, I mean, he's done last night in Soho, so that's pretty much in the can for him. And I know he's been looking at other stuff. Like he wrote, he said that he's done, you know, a script for Baby Driver 2. But I mean, who knows what that's going to be now because of Ansel Elgort. Both Elgort and Spacey. But Spacey's but, I mean, dead Spacey's in that. Dead. In right, that I forgot. Spoiler. Yeah. Um, but he, he was also doing a couple adaptations of books um, as well. But yeah, I mean that's that's cool to hear that um that he's going to be doing a Stephen King adaptation and maybe it'll be closer to, you know, the King story than it will kind of be like a quote-unquote action film. But I I really love the the Schwarzenegger movie. Like I think it's so much fun. I think I watched it with you a few years ago and um I think it's a blast. Did, yeah. It's a blast. Like it's one of those goofy like late 80s you know, survival thrillers that just work so well. And, um, tonally it'll it'll be interesting to see what they'll do. Like, I'm always fascinated to see when they do remakes of failed adaptations or adaptations that kind of completely went in a 
different direction from the source material. Like I've always been curious to see if they would do a remake of speaking of Stephen King, like of Lawnmower Man, because Lawnmower Man, the book is so much different or the short story is so much different compared to the shitty nineties movie with Pierce Brosnan and Jeff Fahey. But it's interesting that the movie that was made in the nineties, which was all kind of, again, promoting technology of the time and virtual reality went in the direction it did. You know, we talked about this as well with the Super Mario Brothers movie, where it's like it, it, it's fascinating to watch a movie be so misguided and go in a direction that's so completely opposite to what yeah. the source material is. But I also kind of find that fascinating because now everything is treated with such, you know, like attention to detail and revered. I mean, like you even look at the Mortal Kombat trailer. Okay, so the Mortal Kombat Let's trailer. Let's get into it, baby. <laughs> yeah, like it's it literally is so much darker in tone and violent than what this you know what the paul ws anderson movies were and like the paul ws anderson movies were like let's just you know like make a video game adaptation and have fun with it where this is like we're making mortal Kombat the movie we got to take this serious this is our time to shine we got to have a scene where scorpion and sub-zero rip each other apart I mean, dude, that's what the game is. And like, I I will give it, will it be a, so Mortal Kombat, let's get into some trailers. Um, We got a couple from this past week, Mortal Kombat being the most recent one. Um, I, I don't know. I'm obviously expectations super low because it is a video game movie. We'll have a lot of video game talk in the second half of the show here Um, or the next half an hour because Eric's got a hard stop. Um, But I kind of bought into this and like, again, I do want to go back and rewatch those, those mortal Kombat movies from the nineties. Cause like I haven't seen them in forever, but um, obviously I'm a fan of the mortal Kombat games going back to, you know, the OG ones that, that I played on super Nintendo and Sega Genesis and all the way leading up to like, I have, I purchased mortal Kombat. Well, you showed me yeah, Rambo versus Robocop. Yes. Yes. I have the newest mortal Kombat, which they keep adding like other, characters from warner brothers franchises and just other movie franchises and and things like that too um so i've been a fan of mortal kombat for a while uh do i think it'll make a good movie no but like will it be fun i hope so um and yeah the movie seems like it is taking itself maybe a little too seriously but also winking at the audience with the things like kano wins and then like which is obviously what the guy says at the end of every mortal Kombat fight or finish him you hear someone yell out and that stuff is a wink to the you know hardcore fans and things like that which are the most obvious of ones and there'll be even more smaller easter eggs throughout the movie but like if you can deliver like cool fight sequences that are hella violent that's all mortal Kombat really kind of needs to be and like and that's where my expectations are and they showed that in the trailer do i need this elaborate story or anything like that not really i mean we'll get something could it be cool there is a small uh percent chance that you know it could deliver a okay story with fun fight scenes and and hella violence um but I'm not, I mean, we haven't gotten a great video game film yet. So like, I'm not really holding out hope that it's going to be fantastic. Could it be fun? Yes. Do I see a little bit of that in this? Yes. Um, surprised that there's no Johnny Cage, but uh, some theories going around that that main guy, because he's not a character from the games or anything. I want to pull up the character name. I forget. Um, 
But Eric, what did you think of the trailer? Yeah, I mean, like it's it's fun, and and I agree with you. Like to the most part, like you're, you're distilling this to its essence, which is two people beating each other to a pulp, and that is very much present in this to the kind of extreme, excessive nature of the violence. But which it, is it, straight from the game. Yeah. yeah, but the thing that that you mentioned that I think also is the the most concerning part is like, what is the narrative bridge going to be to connect? all those fights like what is going to be the storyline and the storyline in mortal Kombat and in mortal Kombat annihilation is just so standard and threadbare but yet they find a way to to kind of prolong it as much as possible and with you know this i i really hope that they don't but the one thing that they do show in the trailer that kind of feels like a little bit like that or at least they're taking it way too seriously is like the birthmark of being chosen and like you know one character says you know maybe you're just born with it and like i thought of the uh the maybelline ad you know maybe he's born with it maybe it's mortal Kombat. um so like again i'm all for like a fun kind of like i think the person who summed it up perfectly in terms of like just based on the trailer was uh uh, Rob Trench, who's on Twitter, who basically said this looks like a fun Tuesday night movie, which is that's the like that's that's what you're hoping for in terms of ambition. That this is just going to be a fun entertainment, doesn't take itself too seriously, understands what the essence of the video game adaptation is, and doesn't warp it or change it into something that it's not, and tries to make it deeper or more meaningful, or just go off the rails like a Max Payne or something like that, where it's yeah. like, what the fuck were they even thinking? Um, but I ho- also hope that they don't take it too seriously either, where it's like, you know, like, you know, Mortal Kombat is like, you know, a precious item. Like, it's it's not. I don't it's think it, it's, no. And I think you see that with, you know, the Kano stuff at the end with Finish Him and the Wink with Kano wins and stuff like that. Like, I, I feel like they will play up that aspect and, and make it a fun movie, even though it'll have. And I know some people who like the story mode from the last couple mortal combats and think that it tells kind of an interesting fun kind of story so if they can kind of just stick to that kind of like what they did with the tomb raider movie which is really just taking the plot from these games and kind of interpreting it on screen because like to make it a uh, generic action movie that's what i mean but like um this i don't know i don't have high expectations but i'm um sort of curious to see if it'll be fine because like i did like the fight between sub-zero and scorpion in the trailer where like scorpion freezes the blood and like stabs him and stuff like that or even that. makes like the knife um, or the sword i think that's kind of cool. yes from the yes like I, I think there can be some really cool shit now that we have much better special effects i still think goro looked a little weird um i kind of like the goro, goro puppet like, more weirdly yes enough. yeah but like the cg goro in the trailer i don't know if i was fully on board for um and then lewis tan is playing a character called cole young which i highly doubt is his real name because or maybe it to- is and then he changes it to johnny cage that's because, what people are saying like because he, he becomes an actor maybe name. maybe yeah. there's like oh you should you you look like an actor you should you know become a movie star or something it's like well every movie star needs a, a name a screen name johnny yeah. cage so i could see that um like i i i think that could be cool um but um, you do have, you know, Sonya Blade, Jax. I like seeing Jax's arms get shattered. And yeah, because in, in Annihilation, like, um, he just put on those giant arms and that was it. And it was like, oh, you could just take those off anytime. Yeah, and you have, like, I mean, Liu Kang, who was the 
he was the lead in the original Mortal Kombat yeah. movies, right? So like now Liu Kang just being a supporting character looks like um but was uh, Reptile in there? I think Reptile was in there in like a shot. I didn't see Reptile. It was like another but... CGI character. Oh, maybe. Um but I'm I'm in man. Like I I like Mortal Kombat. I'm um I again a fun oh, Raiden as well, right? Raiden's yeah, in Raiden yeah. is in it. Yeah. Not so. played by Christopher Lambert though. Um, no, not unfortunately. Um, so I don't know. Um, we'll see, but, um, the trailer made me go, huh? Okay. I think this could be fun. Um, Will it peak in the opening, uh, title sequence with the song? Dude, we got the song and like an orchestral version of the song, like playing in the background. So like, I would love it. Just the original song plays some at some point in the movie, because that is truly the best part of those, uh, Paul W. Sanderson movies is, is, and I feel like it will. I have a feeling that like, I hope they know the tone that they need to go for. Um, and I feel like, if they take anything from those old movies is like that theme song and that straight up theme song is a banger and they need to keep that. That is such a, like a nineties club song theme music for a film. Like I could just imagine them like coming up with that in the nineties and being like, okay, you know, club music and you know, uh, is really popular right now. Why don't we make that into a theme song for mortal Kombat? And literally it's just a guy shouting mortal Kombat and the character and the character's names. Yeah, (laughs) And it's brilliant. (laughs) It's great. It's so good. So I do hope that that pops up, even if it's in like the credits or something like I, you just got to throw it in there somewhere. Um, the other big trailer we got is Cruella starring Emma Stone, which is basically Joker for babies. Yeah. <laughs> like, Joker um, and, and a little bit of Batman begins as well for good measure. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. I don't care. Um, I don't know. Like, either. I mean, like a lot of people are saying, okay, well, you know, like one of the writers for the favorite did a, you know, a rewrite on the draft and, you know, uh, Craig Gillespie who directed uh, I, Tanya and Lars and the real girl is the director on it. So, you know, maybe the, some of its parts will make this thing, you know, interesting or at least worthwhile. And, and Emma there's Stone's the potential always good, for that. So. But, yeah, yeah. But it also, I mean, just from the trailer, it kind of looks exactly what you'd expect a Cruella, biopic or backstory to be right like okay like you know we we've we've exhausted maleficent you know we we we've taken all the characters we can let's go to cruella now and it's like let's make her the the anti-hero in you know this story and and just again like it kind of feels like okay maybe it's going to be an original story quote unquote based on not doing like a shot for shot remake that's you know whether or not it's live action Which I'm or not more open to like same yeah. same and and I don't mind Craig Gillespie as a kind of like journeyman director he also did a really wonderful remake of Fright Night which I think is quite good um but my biggest problem is like like people kind of putting too much stock in someone like Craig Gillespie specifically, because I mean, he's also done a lot of movies that are kind of forgettable, like Million Dollar Arm with John Hamm and The Finest oh, Hour yeah. and things like that. And like, yeah. as much as I like Emma Stone, I mean, she's only one part of you know the picture. And and having you know Paul Walter Hauser, Stingray himself, you know, reunite with his I Tonya director again, like, there's not a lot there to be like, okay, well, that's going to make the movie good, or even having a rewrite by you know 
the right one of the writers of uh the favorite doesn't necessarily mean that okay well it's going to have that same bite to it like you know. And we got to remember it's a Disney movie about Cruella DeVille. Yes, a woman who wants to skin a bunch of puppies. But exactly. Like, it's like how do you like, how do you make that work? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I'm not against it. Um I mean, I love I, a, a 101 Dalmatians. It was one of my favorite Disney movies as a kid. And I think Cruella okay. I think Cruella is a great villain. I, I always reminded me of my Oma. God rest her soul. Uh RIP. Uh, no, but she just had Cruella DeVille always had the vibe of my Oma. I was always scared of my Oma right. and I love her to death. She was the sweetest woman, but she also had, she was more strict with me than maybe my parents were and stuff. And that's just how she was, you know, raising brought my up. mom and stuff too. And how she was brought up. She obviously lived through the second world war in Germany and, and, and stuff like that. So a very hardened woman, um, but always reminded me of Cruella DeVille, just like uh, just Cruella's vibe to me. Yes. My Oma didn't want to skin puppies or anything, but um, Cruella DeVille and still to this day, I say it to my sister every time we watch 101 Dalmatians that um, just reminds me of my Oma, uh, which I mean as a compliment, <laughs> but like, I don't know if that is, but um, I don't know. I'm, I'm open to it. I don't really care. I think people, obviously it's a big Disney movie. People will make a big deal out of it. Um, and they've already done the live action versions yeah. with Glenn Close, which is yeah. like, okay, well, you know, again, what more, which can really, really was do probably the origins of Disney doing live action remakes, right? Yeah. It was 101 Dalmatians had to be one of the first ones in the nineties. Yeah. Right? And then George of the jungle and Dudley do right. Even though they're not movies, but like cartoon adaptations of, you know, yeah. into live action movies of, of famous, like kids series or films, but yeah. And it like, even something like my favorite Martian, which isn't a cartoon, but like, it kind of felt like there was a moment in time there where they were doing it. But at that time it was also kind of not like, it, I mean, it was successful enough to make two of those movies because they did 101 Dalmatians and 102 Dalmatians, Dalmatians with yeah. close. So yeah, that probably really is the origin for the, the live action Disney adaptation. And now we're getting them all the time. So, yeah. you know, for better yeah. or worse, mostly worse, but no. It all comes full circle. I will leave it on this. My mom, a great text message she sent me this morning at 9.20 a.m. LOL, I just watched the Cruella trailer. Looks like a Tinder match for the Joker. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> great. That is fantastic, Mom. You should have tweeted that. Um, you so still I thought can. That was you really still good. can. Tell her yeah. to do it. Oh, man, yeah. that would be so good. That was really good. Um, and then finally, um, I think we got some more, but um, we got a trailer, a full trailer for Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, Are we reviewing Eric, this, Matt? I can confirm that we will be reviewing Zack Snyder's Justice League, just so I can, you know, you know, put you through four hours of pain. Um, who knows? Maybe it'll be good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um the trailer's out. You're quite it's, the Joker. Aww. To me, to me, um, the big thing, obviously, we already joked about it, the we live in a society thing. My tweet was, we live in a high society for Cruella. Um, I referenced but, the movie uh, Society from Brian Gisna. Yeah. yeah, great reference, Eric, that many people will get. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
this trailer i don't know it looks like more justice league to me like yeah does it look better probably but like what's that saying justice league was an absolute train wreck and i think most things are better than joss whedon slash Zack snyder's justice league was um and also just like batman versus superman donna justice and man of steel which are also pieces of poo in my okay, I would, uh, yeah, in your opinion, uh, I don't think either movie is a good movie or even uh, close to being a good movie. Although I will say, though, the ultimate edition of Batman v Superman is a better cut of the movie. So will this be a better cut of the movie? Probably, because at least it's his, you know, vision realized. Um, is that going to be good? Who knows, but um, probably not. <laughs> it just uh, bothers me too a little bit that like that we're rewarding the assholes who yelled about this or that, what? but also, you know, there were so many filmmakers that don't get to have a second chance to even make another movie, let alone yeah. go back. And I understand, you know, like Zack Snyder, the person went through a horrible ordeal with losing his daughter to yes. suicide. And that's not funny. And, and I don't want to ever tear him down for, for that. And him leaving justice league was the right thing for him to do and what he needed to do. But at the same time, I just feel like there, there were so little opportunities out there for filmmakers, you know, to have, a second movie made or to get their first film made or to work within the studio system going from an indie to a big blockbuster film. And Zack Snyder has had so many opportunities um, and so many failures that it's like, we keep not only rewarding the toxic fan base that champions him, but also the idea of giving him the resources and funding to continue to, you know, fix these movies or change them or sculpt them to make his vision come to life where, you know, that $10 million extra or whatever, how much they gave to, you know, do the reshoots and things like Wasn't that. Like 70. I thought it was like 10 for like the post-production. Maybe it was a lot more for like the actual shooting, but like if it's 70, that's, I think it, ballo- I think it, it up. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, nobody else gets that opportunity but if you're a white guy in hollywood you fail upwards Zack snyder and jared leto just keep on going you know i don't disagree they could have funded five indie movies that all i mean a 10 million dollar budget to an indie movie would people would kill for that right so. yeah or just like a filmmaker whose work might actually deserve you know uh a revisited version or you know a director's cut of their work like i forget who was tweeting about it but someone was tweeting a, an interesting thread being like you know what i'm excited for justice league just to see you know not a lot of movies get this kind of opportunity where in hindsight you can look at what people hated about the movie what they like about the franchise uh enough time to take your time to look at everything and and do what you actually want to do um that it will be a interesting experiment to see like, you know, will it be worth it or, you know, is it too much power? Who knows, whatever. But like something being like a lot of these big movies are, you have to hit a deadline, right? Like with all of these things, you, you know, you're, it's usually like, you're never satisfied when a filmmaker puts out a movie. It's just the best it's going to be by the, in the amount of time you had to do it. Right. Um, so I think now that you take a step back and he didn't really have a, 
you know, a deadline. And now he has hindsight of, you know, what people said about Joss Whedon's version or what people have said about his movies. And ultimately it'll be his original vision, I guess. But, um, you, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm morbidly curious and that's why I, I do want to review it with you just cause I feel like that movie, the, the original cut of justice league is just a absolute nightmare so i mean it's not a high bar to be to be yeah to be better than that movie but it there are some elements in this trailer that seems like it's a completely different story than what was depicted in um even though it looks like a lot of the footage obviously is used in both cuts but it i mean ballooning it was like only an hour and 40 minutes long when it was in theaters so to be a whole two hours and like 20 minutes more longer well to include uh, all the stuff with dark seed because dark seed is only really hinted at right in yeah. in the the whedon cut where and also fuck joss whedon uh yeah. yes yes you know because i was i was actually re-watching some of buffy the vampire slayer and um because it's on amazon prime and actually it'll be on star uh, when uh, that's available on, uh, I think the twenty third, actually, yeah, Tuesday, um, yeah, Tuesday. Um, we'll have impressions next week, even though there's not really anything to discuss other than no, 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 no. I, I mean, I still love that show, and I still love the people in it, but the people that he hurt, like, it sucks. And oh, like, fuck that, yeah, 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 yeah. But but going back to to the film, like, yeah, like I I, I almost wish that they just had Henry Cavill with the mustache and just embraced you know, Superman with a mustache instead of yeah. what they did to his Go face. Omni-Man. Yeah. And I, I just like the thing with the Zack Snyder movies with both, you know, Batman versus Superman and, you know, even, even like going back to the 300 and, and sucker punch his movies just exhaust me. And like w- thinking of I watching a four hour film of his, even if it is in parts, I'm just thinking to myself, like I'm going to do it because I'm a I'm a film fan and I'm curious of. It's one movie now, though. It's not like yeah, in, but, but I'm still thinking chapters, I might watch so. it in four yeah. parts. I, I believe there are still chapters. I'm going to give myself an intermission for this. I think I'll, there I'll, should I just, be any movie it. over two and a half hours should have an intermission. But to me, it's just like. Okay. I wouldn't put it against him that there will be an intermission in it. <laughs> Probably, and it'll be like in a pretentious text. Um, but yeah, I just think that like okay, this better be at least different enough. And it ha- it should be. I mean, if it's four hours, there's got to be a completely different, like, as yeah, you mentioned, narrative was, thread going yeah, on. Yeah, it seems like the dark side stuff um, in him coming in, in with that fucking, what's the other, what was the villain, Steppenwolf um, of the first <laughs> one? And then rock band all, from- all the nightmare scenes, and we see the Joker sequence in the nightmare thing. That what I've read is like the theory is in his original version, like that nightmare sequence isn't a dream sequence like it was. It's actually the future in the sense that the movie's so long that the first half, like Steppenwolf actually succeeds, and then that post-apocalypse thing is the actual timeline. And the Flash, remember he pops up in Batman v Superman in that sequence. Yeah, and, and it that, didn't make any sense whatsoever. Because, it, because they never revisited it, where now they're thinking that that future is reality and that time travel stuff happens here because he has to go back. The Flash has to go back and change it. So the second half of the movie will be like, I don't know, who the fuck knows, but we'll see. Um 
I don't know. I mean, it's such a bummer because like obviously we love Batman and the DC, you know, comics and stuff like that. We're not huge Superman fans. The whole, you know, there's a whole subplot with Superman with this black suit in this movie that was never in the first one. And so it'll be interesting to see how much of it is different using the same footage and obviously a lot more that we never got to see. But And then ultimately, like, will it be a self-contained story? Because like, even if, you know, he makes the movie he wants to make, like, is he going to go back and try to make another film or follow up or, or I think it depends on how, what the reaction of this is like how many subscribers it gets HBO max, how many views, like I could see them not killing the Snyderverse if, if, you know, either the reaction for this is really positive or, I mean, he's technically, we're still getting a bit of it with wonder woman, with the flash, um, with, uh, you know, Ben Affleck's Batman is in the Flash movie as well as Michael Keaton's uh, Batman. Right. right? But it almost so, seems like that's going to be like you a know, reset. Swan it's gonna song, be- or not Keaton's Swan song, but a Ben Affleck's Swan Aff- song. Yes, because they're going to reset the universe with Flashpoint, which is a really cool storyline. And I've been saying, Eric, I think I told you, I think fucking. 10 years ago that they were probably going to do flashpoint to reset this universe after it started going to shit. And the reason also why they're doing it now is because they're competing with Marvel again, because Marvel is doing the multiverse thing, but also Marvel is copying what spider verse did. So, I mean, they're just, that's been in the comics forever, right? A multiverse going back to, you know, right. um, But to do it now, to do it, you know, in succession with all of that. Weirdly, spider verse didn't do super. It did an, well enough obviously to warrant a sequel in in theaters and i think it's it's caught on even more on demand and stuff like that since because i remember it being a success but not like a runaway success critically it was obviously um but then a lot you're seeing a lot of that stuff and that concept of a multiverse where there can be different versions of the same character i think to people who weren't big comic fans was such a you know, a heady kind of thing of going, wait, what? So he's Peter Parker, but it's a different Peter Parker. And like people are starting to obviously now, even with WandaVision and dropping hints at a lot of that stuff too. And where the MCU is going, we're, we're, and now DC is starting to trickle in a lot of that stuff too. So I don't know. Am I excited for justice league? No, but like I am so curiosity. Yeah. Morbidly. Yeah. Morbid curiosity. Yeah. All right, Eric, I know you got to stop. So I want to give you a little bit of time in between your next podcast. So let's just go over the the biggest news story for me. And if there's anything else you want to quickly hot drop in, we can. Hot um, drop, yeah. But, um, but for me, I want to talk about The Last of Us casting. So we finally got some casting news on the HBO uh, Last of Us series. I don't know if we ever talked about that the director of Beanpole got brought in to um, – is it the Beanpole director, right? Yes, yeah, to direct the pilot to direct the pilot and kind of shepherd, you know, the look and feel of the series with Craig Mazin and, and Neil Druckmann, which I highly recommend um, checking out Beanpool, 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 because it is excellent. It is also extremely depressing, but and the time. last of a series probably will be that too. So he seems like the perfect guy. Um, I can't wait to go back and watch that and Chernobyl. I'll probably do both of those things leading up until the last of us. Um, or maybe, you know, one day when I'm bored, I'll, I'll, I'll pop one of them on and finally watch, but, um, we should get into the, the casting. Um, Oh God, what's the, the girl's name, but Pedro Pascal, um, got announced as Jewel. Um, and, 
do you know her name? The oh, last, uh, uh, Ramsey. HBO. Yeah. Um, I was going to say Anne Ramsey, but that's uh, <laughs> the lead. Bella, Bella Ramsey. Yeah. Um, Bella Ramsey and Pedro Pascal have been cast as Joel and Ellie um, for The Last of Us. There was a little bit of a weird day where um, some random website um, put out that Mahershala Ali was going to be cast as uh, Joel, which would have been dope as well. Great actor. Um, but it was from like some random geek website where um, I remember texting with you and other people. And I'm like, guys, wait till, you know, like a deadline or a Hollywood reporter or a variety posts about this because like usually no offense to some of these other sites, but like y- you don't know until one of the big, the big guys come in and confirm something. Um, and I feel like it is not responsible to put out something that you don't know is a, f- is for sure. No. And especially it- with that casting, because you had a lot of, uh, how do I put this in a very, uh, blunt way? Racist assholes. Yeah. Of complaining course, yeah. that Mahershala Ali was cast in the lead role, which is like, fuck you guys. But that's just video dude. That's just, the, that's the toxic nature of, you know, the video game industry and that's trickled into you know movies and comics. Oh, and every it's in every every fandom, but yeah, yeah, every fandom has that, which is shitty. We've seen um, that in Star Wars all the time. Yes, and it's unfortunate. And um obviously, like if you're a fan of the game, I feel like you gotta get your headspace out of just finding people who look like these characters. Like that's, I think the trouble we get when you're casting in a book is different because yes, you can describe how someone looks in a book, but you never actually see that character realized. You might have a version of it in your head, but you don't have a direct comparison and a performance to kind of compare it to other than what you created in your mind. And yes, there could be descriptors in a novel of what someone looks like, but ultimately when you cast someone from a movie, you envision to me personally, you envision that because that's the first time you're seeing that character realized on, on screen or in, you know, in a visual where something like the last of us or a video game, a lot of the times you get stuck with like, we know what this character looks and sounds like. So we need to find someone who looks and sounds like that character instead of someone who maybe can just embody what that character or who's just good for the role. Like who's, who's who's good for the role. Right. Exactly. Like you don't need to get, and I feel like even myself being a huge fan of the last of us, when you hear Pedro Pascal, you go like, even me at first I go, man, I can't picture it. And then I go, well, I still love Pedro Pascal and I know he's a great actor. So I'm definitely down. It's just at first your gut reaction sometimes is like, man, I know Joel and Ellie from the game, but then you got to get yourself out of that headspace and understand that trust the people like Neil Druckmann is a co-creator and a co-director on all of the games. And he's very involved in the series with Craig Mazin. And like, then I saw like a fan cut of Pedro Pascal, like, like splicing a lot of the footage from some of his movies with footage from Joel from the game. And I'm like, man, I'm all in. It's all just triple triple frontier. It was a lot of triple frontier to be fair. Um, But that being said, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm very excited for this. And I, I think Pedro Pascal is a great actor. It's, it's wild to me that he'll have two of the biggest TV shows on two of the biggest like networks right now with Disney plus and HBO, which is maybe my one criticism of that casting, not because of him. It's more so on the casting agents or whoever that it's like, it's almost like, okay, well, you know, we, 
we cast them and, and I hope it's based on their performance, but not just because of like, Oh, they're in something else that's really big right now. And people will recognize the name. And also like the idea that they're both, you know, game of Thrones alumni, like it's kind of, it almost feels a little bit like lazy or not thinking outside the box of like, okay, we have like this huge pool of, of, of actors available, you know, and, and, and for these, these roles. And we pick, you know, one guy who's in one, as you mentioned, one of the biggest series right now, uh, you know, and is, is becoming, Mind you, it's a mostly name. a voice role. <laughs> right, right, right. But still, I mean, like a lot of people do, you know, know him and he's, he, I mean, even with the new wonder woman movie, like, you know, he's, he's, he's gaining a lot of success and, and, and rightfully so, cause he's, he is very good, but it just feels almost like they're capitalizing on that or just not thinking about it. But, but again, like, as you mentioned, you know, you, you trust the creators and they see him in the role and that will be fine. It's just, you worry about overexposure. That's the one thing. I, I agree with you, but I do feel like his role, I mean, people made jokes about Mandalorian and last of us being an escort mission, both shows. Like he's just yeah, you yeah. Know, a father figure for, you know, either Grogu or Ellie and, and, and adoptive Shep- daddy. Yeah, exactly. And and shepherding them to the destination where they need to go, which I think is really interesting and and, and it funny. Um but I don't know. Like I'm 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 very down. I can't wait to see what, you know, um uh Pedro Pascal does in the role of Joel and Bella Ramsey I barely remember from Game of Thrones again I only watched that series once and and I remember people really thinking she was a standout in her in her short run on the series but I even went back and I saw some stuff I think on her um like I uh, so her YouTube channel where she's like playing the guitar and singing and I'm like oh they definitely are looking at all of that stuff and, and envisioning what the character will eventually go to and I I can picture her as Ellie and I think she's the right age for it and because obviously in my head, you had the Josh Brolin or, you know, people said Hugh Jackman. Again, I think Lo- Logan is basically last of us. You don't necessarily need to just think that way. Um, obviously, um, uh, what's her name from Booksmart? Um, Caitlin Deaver. Uh, Kay- Kay- Caitlin Deaver, I thought would be an excellent Ellie, but she's almost... Uh, a bit too old now in her mid twenties for the role. Like you, if you were playing last of us Two, Ellie, I think Caitlin Deaver could crush it, but I know that this series will probably spread out that last game throughout, you know, multiple or that first game throughout multiple seasons when Ellie is between, you know, 15 and, and 16 years old, or I think she's 14 when the first game starts, but um, they might tweak some of that based on, um, I already know who to cast if they, if they decide to age up, if, if that, if there is a progression, because the person I always get um, uh, Bella Ramsey mixed up with it, it, because more recently um, was uh, Morveth Clark from St. Maud, because they have a very similar kind of plain kind of complexion, but they, they almost look like they could play sisters. I like that. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, I feel like they'll let her age with the series, depending on, um, how long it takes and how long they want to go. But I mean, Ellie is in her early to mid twenties in that second game. Like there is quite a bit of a time jump, but um, I think there are ways to do it. And I'm just, I'm if we've cast the two leads now, I'm very excited to see uh, who else they cast in the other roles. Um, I mean, I, 
I, I nerd out with this series or this game so much. I did that, the cast of us kind of stuff where I've been, you know, theorizing who I would cast in a lot of these roles. And I'm thinking very literally and like I'm finding people who look or sound like the characters from the game. So I'm actually happy that, you know, they're going outside of that and they're not necessarily, they're just saying who would be the best person for this role. And it doesn't necessarily need to look or sound like the person from the game, um, which I, I kind of am into. Cause again, why do I just want, a direct adaptation of what I already saw in the video game, right? I'm sure it'll be very close to it from, you know, the the big story beats and things like that, but I'm sure they'll change things up. And I think like, I'm excited. I'm super pumped for it. I, I think that both of them will do a great job and um, I can't wait to see what other casting comes out um, in the next little while of the rest of the characters. Cause there's so many great characters that I think, and HBO has the means to get, you know, the big names with someone like a Pedro Pascal or rumored with Mahershala Ali, which didn't end up working out, but um, I think he would have crushed it as well. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, but you have to also think now, like, probably the reason why he didn't take it is because of blade right like he's probably in the midst of getting ready for that and he seems to have a lot of creative control on that project so and that's probably going to be a long-term thing as well right and even though he has a good relationship with hbo having done you know true detective season three which he's amazing in um even though like you know, True Detective has kind of fallen off since that first season, the Kerry Fukunaga one. I have to say that like both him and Steven Dorf on that season were were excellent. And yeah, I need to go back and watch it because I love the first season. The second yeah. season I thought was shit. Obviously. It wasn't very good. But the third one is worth it because of 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 him and and his relationship with Steven Dorf as his uh partner um and working this kind of case. And but yeah, like it's it, it's it's interesting because HBO is has that pedigree as you, you were talking about where they can get um you know big name stars or oscar winners and it's not just it's it's not tv anymore right it's it's hbo um being the the tagline for the longest time for that you know for for them but yeah i'm also just excited to see it for the first time really and kind of you know have that experience of what you've been talking about for so long and kind of get you know an adaptation of it yeah i mean we talked about mortal kombat earlier and that we've never really gotten a great video game adaptation so there's always that like anxiety of like well we haven't gotten a good video game adaptation but like the last of us has the potential to be that first one that with all the pieces that they put in there. I mean, Craig Mazin, I wouldn't have, you know, uh, before Chernobyl, he was pretty much not saying that the guy was a joke or anything, but he wrote like the hangover movies and like hangover some two of and, and, yeah, Rocket and like, not the Elton John movie, but the comedy from and the like, 90s. Didn't he do like the, like the, those parody movies even before that, yeah. like those really awful ones. Like, um, so it's interesting the way his career kind of like took a, you know, a, a sharp right into the um, prestige television um, side of things. And I mean, people really love Chernobyl. And it's good. I, I think, I think having someone like Neil Druckmann on board, who is, you know, so involved in the game that is, you know, people really praise for its writing and its performances and its direction and stuff like that. Like having him work with Mason on it gives me faith that, and I think they're doing that more and more with these video game adaptations is like, actually involving the people from the game who 
you know, if it was a popular game, then that person would know best as the creator of the game. So why not have them as a producer or a writer or something like that? So if they fuck up, it's really on them. Like, <laughs> Yeah, because then they finally, they had the final stamp of approval, right? Like, and I think that's even why some things like they're not great movies, but we're starting to see like small improvements on video game movies. So something like a detective Pikachu or a Sonic the Hedgehog, like those movies by all means are just, you know, fun kids movies. They're not great, but like each one works much better than I think things that came before it because of the involvement, whether it was the Pokemon company or um, Sega in, in Sonic before I felt like we were always just licensing these movies off and just letting them, like you said, when we talk about the super Mario brothers movie or even mortal Kombat or the plethora of video game movies, max Payne we referenced earlier too. Like when you just give them away and go do whatever the fuck you want, that could sometimes bring out interesting results, but nothing really of interest came out of anything before this where now we're starting to see okay these games are popular for a reason these creators created these things that were hugely popular why don't we involve them a little bit more right and then that's what's um, well it's the same thing with comic book movies comic book movies in the 80s and 90s and even you know with the superman films you know there was a little bit of creativity you know and, and artistry in those films but the studios really weren't paying attention to okay like story wise or, or or script wise like what makes these stories you know timeless or what makes them popular with comic book fans and you know for every batman and batman returns even batman returns was you know mixed at the time in terms of its results but you get you know the phantom or uh the shadow and things like that and it's like they the studios didn't care they just wanted to have the same success that you know, a Tim Burton's Batman had, and they didn't care what property they were buying up or who was adapting the script. They just wanted the same results. Now with comic book movies, a lot of them, not all of them, but you know, with Marvel and with a lot of the DC stuff, there is a certain amount of respect that goes into the material and the writing and the thought process. And there's a think tank or somebody behind it that is thinking, okay, well, like how do we, you know, sustain this long term? And I feel like with video game movies, they're maybe starting to get there a little bit, a little bit, but not, not completely baby steps. Yeah. With this, I think, if this is successful, both commercially and critically, I think the this could be the be- are gonna be open. beginning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that or Mortal yeah. Kombat. Um, but I mean, more. Yeah, again, the Mortal Kombat might be that baby step, right? Like we're seeing. Well, even Tomb know, Raider, to a certain extent, had- was part of that baby step. Yeah. I would say. Yeah, like I would put Tomb Raider in that same vein as Sonic the Hedgehog and Detective Pikachu. That you know felt very faithful to, for the most part, at least for hardcore fans. For some of the things it was doing like um and i feel like all of those movies are three star movies in my opinion like all of them but three star movies are a masterpiece when it comes to video game movies right now yeah right? and everything so, that's come before yeah so i mean like nobody's I, saying street fighter is a you know a long lost masterpiece exactly all right eric i know you gotta run so i mean let's just uh let's just keep that as the only news story that we talk about this week and if there's anything that we missed that we want to talk about next week we can there's some interesting stuff we dropped the edgar wright news and and some other stuff but um obviously last of us near and dear to my heart so i'm very very excited to talk about about it 
and happy to talk about it. Um, well, thank you, man. Um, love doing this. I hope we can do it even more often because um, I know we have reviews that come out, you know, every single week. You guys can check out Untitled Movie Reviews. We'll have tons of reviews in March because we are covering South by Southwest. Um, you know, the Russo Brothers Cherry will have a review for very, very soon. Um, Invincible on Amazon Prime, um, which uh, you guys know that I was a huge fan of the comic book series. So we'll have a review of the first three episodes of Invincible coming up in March. And then uh, when it comes to movies coming out, Mortal Kombat's coming soon. There's tons of stuff coming in the well, next Even stuff now, like, um, you know, uh, available on Netflix in the US and in Canada on Amazon Prime is the I Rosemary Pike. I care a lot, which we reviewed back uh, during TIFF. So you can go back and check that uh, review out. Um, we'll have more reviews for uh, films in, in the coming weeks that I think will be uh, exciting. So there's, there's, there's always something happening here and and again we haven't abandoned untitled movie conversations it's just a matter of timing and, out, and yeah. when we can get a certain guest on and who but we're also like i think matt mentioned you know maybe in in a podcast before or, or even with you know having someone like daniel come on and and co-host an episode with us you know, we're, we're always interested to have maybe another voice every now and then come in and, and, and talk with us and, you know, sustain <laughs> an hour and a half to two hours of, so of it's talking. not just Eric and I, I mean, yeah. the reviews will always be Eric and I with the odd guest like Joey, Joey coming on for promising young woman or Nevis jumps on once in a while, but this show too, we want to bring more guests and then conversations will be more. If we get like an official interview with someone, whether it's a filmmaker, like the Jay Wadley interview and stuff like that. Um, so anyways, uh, please go check out, uh, all three of the podcasts. This one that you're listening to, uh, untitled movie reviews, untitled movie conversations, drop us a review. If you'd be so kind on those three podcasts, uh, follow us on all of those social medias at un- untitled underscore cast and as always my name is matt Rohrbeck. you can find more of my work around the internet but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and you can follow me on all of the social medias at matt Rohrbeck. and i'm eric march and you can find more of my video reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinema scene uh the latest episode of cinema scene features matt and i talking about sundance films it's a sundance wrap-up episode so imagine uh this show but a half an hour and, and no PG. swearing and pg yeah. <laughs> uh so that's basically but Matt is very good on the episode as he always is. And he's also really excellent on, uh, uh, the geek centric podcast uh, episode uh, five, I believe, is the one five of WandaVision. Of WandaVision on, yeah. that you're on. So if you want to go back and listen to that as well, I highly recommend checking that out. And you can find me on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time, we live in a society. Mortal Kombat! <laughs> <laughs>